Please stand as you are able for today's New Testament lesson from Book First Timothy, chapter four, verses one through sixteen. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will renounce the faith by paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared with a hot iron. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from food which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected, provided it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by God's word and by prayer. If you put these instructions before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished on the word of faith and the sound teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with profane myths and old wives' tales. Train yourself in godliness, for while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way, hoping promise for both the present life and the life to come. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and struggle because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. These are the things you must insist on and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I arrive, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhorting, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you thorough through prophecy, with the laying of the hands on, by the council of elders. Put these things into practice, devote yourself to them, so that we all see your progress. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Continue in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's my joy and privilege to greet you this morning and to share in this time of worship with Bumsey, as you say, Brentwood United Methodist Church. We welcome those who are worshiping with us online. We hope that this service will be indeed a service that brings you hope and healing and possibility in your life. Well, I've been with you now. I'm in my 10th year. It's hard to believe. Uh, I remember my first semester here in Nashville and a little conversation you and I had about pastoral leadership. And uh, by the grace of God, we found this preacher from North Georgia, Davis Chapel. I don't know if you know him or not, but uh, I'll tell you, we don't always make perfect appointments in the United Methodist Church. I'll be the first as bishop to confess that. But I will tell you that we got mighty close when we, God sent Davis Chapel to Brentwood. Amen. I'm thankful for you, for your witness in this community, for the faithfulness of this congregation that stretches from this place 
to Nashville, to Tennessee, indeed the whole wide world. You are faithful in your giving uh, to our connectional ministries, and for those gifts we are deeply indebted. I have to tell you that I got a promotion today. Uh, usually I get Ash Wednesday at Brentwood, but uh, for some strange reason I got a promotion and I'm here with you at the, on Sunday morning preaching from the pulpit. So, or this, well, is this a really a pulpit? I'm not sure we can call that a pulpit. Well, thank you for being here and thank you for your faithfulness. Will you pray with me and for me now? Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter, our shelter in every storm of life and our eternal home. We read these words from 1 Timothy and we understand, oh God, that you are calling us to a life of holiness of heart, mind, and soul. We understand that by that you mean for us to grow in godliness and Christ-likeness and that you have given us a book to follow that teaches us the way, the truth, and the life. Open us today to hear a little bit more about that journey to holiness and heart of life. Grant it, O oh Lord, in this time, so that those who have gathered here will hear you and not me, see you and not me, and when we leave this place, may we be so very careful to give you the praise. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In 1969, my father, who was a Methodist preacher down in Mississippi, was appointed to become a district superintendent of the New Albany district. The good thing, the great thing about that appointment was that we moved from Fulton, Mississippi to New Albany, Mississippi, and I sat behind a blonde young woman whose name was Lynn Barkley. And by the providence of God, on August 19, 1978, she became my wife. She's here this morning. I hope you'll greet her today before we leave. But it was the first time in my young life that my father was not my pastor. We had another preacher at the church, James T. McCafferty. And I can still remember his deep, resonating voice with this prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as wind and cleanse us. Come as fire and burn in us. Come as light and lead us. Come as love and enfold us. Come as power and enable us. Come as holy life and dwell in us. Convict, convert, and consecrate until we are holy thine. Convict, convert, and consecrate until we are holy thine. I heard this prayer every Sunday morning and every Sunday night. Some of you may remember Sunday night church. New Albany First was a place where on Sunday night the communion rail became an altar and I would kneel there and pray about whatever is on the mind of a 16-year-old. Probably what he did on Saturday night. In the hallway near the entrance, there were pictures Eight by ten black and white pictures of persons who had heard a call to ministry and had responded from that congregation. Joe Ed Morris's picture was on that wall, and I began to wonder if Joe Ed could be a preacher. Maybe I could be too. I knew Joe Ed, you see. Some of those whose picture were on the wall had broken bread at my parents' table. 
Mary Hall was in her 80s, and she was our MYF leader. You don't ever graduate, friends, from doing the work of God. Mary Hall, 80 years old, still leading teenagers, Deach. It was at the home of Mary and Clyde Hall that I first met Harry Denman. Does that name ring a bell with anyone? If you don't know who Harry Denman is, go home and Google Harry Denman this afternoon. He was one of the greatest laypersons that ever lived and served our beloved church. One Sunday night when he had preached at our congregation, my father and mother drove my teenage brother and I up to Clyde Mary Hall's house because my father wanted us to meet Harry Denman. We didn't know who Harry Denman was, didn't care. We wanted to watch Mission Impossible. A week later, my brother and I each received a letter, a personal handwritten letter from Harry Denman and a pocket prayer book. He was a man who lived the holiness and heart of life. These experiences formed me, shaped me, grounded me. It was my Sunday school teacher when I was in high school, Bo Moffitt, who said, if you're going to talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. And that still rings true in this journey of faith about which the writer Paul speaks today in our text. But it was here in this, this place, that congregation, the quiet call of Christ began to be whispered in my ear, and the why of my life became clearer. And as often the case, it was only later in college when the conclusion at a worship service, I responded to the invitation to full-time Christian service by offering myself to Christ and the church. And I'm here today, standing right here, preaching this gospel because of those on whose shoulders I stand. I stand on the shoulders of Joanne Jernigan and Julia Barkley, of Wayne West and Bobby Carter, of B.B. McElroy, my boy scoutmaster, when I was 12. These disciples helped me understand discipleship and understand my why. We have just made a promise to this sweet child this morning that we disciples are going to help her become a disciple. That's your job description, friends. You said you would do it. Live up to it. No doubt you're familiar with Simon Sinek's little book, Start With Why, How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Action. In that little book, Sinek is inviting persons to a deeper walk with life, a deeper sense of purpose and belonging. God was forming a people who knew their why. Follow the Old Testament stories, the New Testament. God consistently invites persons to follow him so that we might know him and follow him. The $64 word for that is evangelism. We don't use that word enough in the church, but it is saying yes to Christ and walking in a new direction. I think of John the Baptist, a voice crying in the wilderness, pointing to the one whose sandals he was not worthy to untie. Hear him say, straighten out the pass. Every valley will be filled. Every mountain will be leveled. Every hill will be leveled. The crooked way will be made straight. Rough roads will be made smooth. And all flesh, all flesh will see the salvation of God. John's pointing to a new way of being in the world that Jesus will usher in. Now, 
John's disciples wanted to get on board with this. And so they asked, what should we do? Have you ever asked that about your faith? What should I? Lord, whatever it is, I'll do it. Tom Turner was my good friend when I was a pastor in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Tom and I coached Little League baseball and soccer together. Tom never got anywhere on time. We called it Turner time. And Tom was the heir of his family's hardware business in downtown Philadelphia, Mississippi, and he was miserable, miserable. And he would say to me, Bill, if I just knew what God wanted me to do, I wouldn't have any trouble doing it. And we would have these long talks and we would think and we would pray. And finally one day said, I think I've got it. I'm gonna sell the hardware store, close it down. I'm gonna coach high school tennis and teach students math. He became a soccer coach and a high school tennis coach because he answered and knew his why. You know, the good thing about John the Baptist is he points to Jesus. John knew his why. He knew he was not the one, but he pointed to the one who was the one. He says, one is coming who will baptize you with water and with the Holy Spirit. So John knows his why, and here comes Jesus. He knows his why. Skip over to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and you get Jesus' mission statement. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of Jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor. John knew his why. Jesus knew his Nine years ago, maybe 10 now, I raised my hand to offer myself for the dawning task of being a bishop in the church. I did so because of my why. 11 months earlier, our son and daughter-in-law had adopted a baby boy named Thomas. And I began to pray and think about what kind of church is Thomas going to inherit. And so I wanted to be a part of hoping and helping the church be a better place than perhaps it would have been. Well, since that time, our family has multiplied. Now we have Thomas and Micah and Bo and Iris and Mac, five grandchildren all under the age of 10. They're a delight. They're faithful little people. And they love Jesus because their parents are teaching them to love Jesus. I will tell you, though, that I have had a few moments over the last nine years when I question why I raise my hand. There's been some times, there have been times when my why has wavered, so it's naive to think that when we understand the why of our lives, God will make the path easy. After all, John the Baptist gets arrested and Jesus gets crucified. So hang on, friends. Following Jesus is not a piece of cake. Sometimes those who follow Jesus are often questioned 
I think when I write my memoir, the title of it will be, That Time I Was Asked. So here in 1 Timothy, you have some of Paul's personal mail. Davis has been walking you through this book. He's a much better teacher than I, so you're getting more good stuff from him about this book, so I'm not going to repeat what he's been telling you for the last three weeks. But he's writing to Timothy. He's in Ephesus. He's trying to nurture this young faith community. He's admonishing him to stay put. Don't don't give up, Timothy. Persevere and remember your why. The text, the title of the sermon is called Curriculum. Read the text. It's there. All of it's there. What you need to do. It leads us to a holiness of heart and life. What does that mean? It means the power of sin diminishes and the power of love increases. That is what it means to walk with Jesus. And we have to do some things to help that along. It's not just going to happen because we wake up on Monday morning asking or thinking it's going to happen. We have to commit ourselves to the practices of the faith. Scripture, prayer, fellowship, discipleship, Bible study, servanthood. This young faith community is struggling. Paul's urging the church. He's urging Timothy to hang on, to be reminded that everything God made is good. Nothing is to be rejected if you receive it with thanksgiving. For it's sanctified by God's word. It's what some texts render this text as saying, God's word sanctified by God's word and by prayer. You know, I wonder how old the wives' tales were. Did you catch that line in scripture? Don't listen to the old wives. You know, we talk about old wives' tales. How old were those 2,000-year-old wives' tales? Well, there's a lot of stuff floating around out there that's almost gospel. So beware of false teaching. In short, remember why and who and how God has called you. We're in a season of disruption in the world and in the church. We must remember our why. So I might ask Brentwood Church, why did God plant Brentwood United Methodist Church in this community, and what is it you're up to now because you're here? Surely you've got a beautiful facility. It's a marvelous place to worship. You've got great music. You've got great leaders. But why are you here? Not to sit on your, surely not to sit on your blessed assurance. I think of your cloud of witnesses. Who are in your cloud of witnesses? Who are cheering you on? Who are the people who came before you? On whose shoulders do you stand? Who were the ones who were Paul to Timothy to you? Who are the ones who taught you, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so? Who taught you the why of God so loved the world? I have to confess that in this season of unevenness and uncertainty, my why has wavered. And if my why wavers, I suspect yours might too some days. You know, I'll get to this in a minute, but in Matthew 28, the first verse says, they gathered for worship and some doubted. And then Jesus sends them out on the Great Commission. Just because you have a, a few doubts doesn't mean God won't use you. 
one of my lifelong, Lynn and I have a friend who actually grew up in our hometown with us. Debbie, she lives here in Nashville. Lynn and Debbie get together for lunch occasionally. She told Lynn this story right before Christmas. She too has a grandchild. He's about five. And something wasn't going quite right in the home with this grandson. And he looked up at his parents and he said, can you just show me a little grace? Five years old. Who already understands the gospel is about grace. Those are good parents who are teaching this one. The curriculum that Timothy is urging us to know. Well, we could stand to show each other a little grace. But I give thanks to God for you who have been resilient in this season of wilderness or in this COVID distancing time, this time of mask wearing and not being where you'd want to be all the time. You have persevered, thanks be to God. We have persevered in the Tennessee and Western, now the Tennessee Western Kentucky Conference, formerly the Tennessee Conference and the Memphis Conference. For nine years, we labored in the vineyard creating a relationship so that we could get married and form a new, new, new conference. December 4 was the day when the marriage was to be sanctified, if you will, the final vote. So here we are after 900 prayers and 900 conversations and 900 debates, not all went smooth, but we got, we got it done. But on December the 4th, I woke up knowing that I was going to preach a sermon. And I, out of the fuzziness of my waking moments, I felt as though I had had a dream. And I sat in my recliner in the den and I began to reflect on what the dream maker was trying to tell me. And this was the message. Tell them Matthew 22 and Matthew 28. Huh. That's pretty clear. I wish... The dream maker had given me that a couple of days earlier, not the day of the sermon. And I began to think, oh, you, you, you all are good Methodists. You know what Matthew 22 is, right? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You knew that. And Matthew 28, go ye therefore in all the world and baptize, preach, and teach. Right there in the dream for that day. And I thought, well, Dreammaker, you left one out. You left out Matthew 25. When did we see you hungry, sick, thirsty, or in prison and do it unto the least of these? You've done it unto me, said Jesus. And I knew, I knew the message of the day. These three texts amplify what Timothy is trying to say in this gospel, this reading for today. So I want to leave you with a thought. There's no question the United Methodist Church has its challenges. But I say to you, our greatest challenge is not how we navigate the journey of full inclusion with our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. Our biggest challenge is how we speak Matthew 25 and Matthew 22 and Matthew 28 in such a way that those who've turned a deaf ear to the gospel will respond. I met Jeff the other day. Jeff's a member of one of our neighboring churches. And we got into a conversation, and I said, Jeff, how did you come to be a part of your particular congregation? He said, somebody invited me. Huh. They just invited you. Yeah. Nobody else in town invited you. No. Just this church invited you, and you came. 
and you've been there for 40 years. That's what Paul did for Timothy. He invited him to follow Jesus. I want to say to you in the season of uncertainty in the world, in the church, God is not finished with us. Despite what some may want you to believe, God is not finished with the United Methodist Church. And so the question is, what's our curriculum and how are we going to live it out? Well, Ann Weems helps me with this. In her little poem, The Church of Jesus Christ, listen to these words. I dream of a church where a child brings a balloon, where old women come to dance, where young men see visions and old men dream dreams. I dream of a church where lepers come to be touched, where the blind see and the deaf hear, where the lame run and the dying live, where daisies bloom out of barren land, where children lead and wise men follow, where mountains are moved and walls come tumbling down, where the loaves of bread are stacked in the sanctuary to feed the hungry, where the coats are taken off and put on the backs of the naked, where barefoot children run in procession, where the anthem is the laughter of the congregation and the offering plates are full of people, where people go when they skin their knees or their hearts, where judges don't judge and each child of God is beautiful and precious, where the sea divides for exiles, where the ark floats and the lion lies down with the lion, lamb lies down with the lion, and get this, where people can disagree and hold hands at the same time. That's what it means to be the church. Where night is day, where lost lambs are found, where people write thank you notes to God, where seeds are scattered and miracles grown. It's where home is, it's where heaven is. It's where picnic is communion and people break bread together on their knees. And where we live responsibly to God's coming even on a cold Sunday morning in February. A week ago, your pastor issued an invitation to our appointed cabinet to be at the leadership summit with Todd Bolsinger. It was a grand and glorious day. We were convicted and inspired, encouraged, and energized by Todd's presentation. But near the end of the presentation, he made a statement that I cannot get out of my mind. He said, every year in this country, we lose a million millennials and Generation Z persons from the church, a million. I've been thinking about that for a week. Look around the places where you hang out, at your office, at the club, at the coffee shop, and ask yourself, who might I invite? Who could I invite to hear a yes to the gospel? Pay attention. God will open that door for you when you least expect it. So be ready with the invitation. You see, I think God worries a whole lot more about the million than he does the 10% we don't agree on. Pay attention to the book. It has the words in it that you need for eternal life. And it gives you some marching orders to love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love those people God loves. 
Matthew 25, feed the hungry, visit those in prison, give somebody a cup of water. And Matthew 28, go, go, go. In Brentwood, in Nashville, in Tennessee, in these United States of America, even to the ends of the earth, go. Three texts plus First Timothy is about all the gospel you need to do what God is asking of you right now. You're standing on somebody's shoulders who did that for you. Before we go, just name a name. Whose shoulders, on whose shoulders do you stand? Can you just say that out loud? Is there one person, too, in your life that were, were Jesus enough for you that you could show up and change your life? Who is it? Don't be bashful. We're among friends here. Just out loud. Is that all? Come on, friends. I know there's more than three people. Come on, help me, help me. I'm trying to finish this sermon so you can go on to the next thing. Mom and dad. Philip. They're your cloud of witnesses. They're cheering you on now. They're going to be with you tomorrow when you show up somewhere and you're going to find that person who is dying for a cup of water. And it's your time to say, come. I know a church. Come go with me. I'll see you Sunday. I'll pick you up. I'll sit with you. I'll introduce you to the pastors. The good book says, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you do not lose heart. Let us not lose heart, and let us remember our why, and then get off of our blessed assurance and do the thing God's asking us to do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.